and welcome back to the Replot from Podcast. It is myself, James, and I'm joined as always by my co-host, Paul Rogers. Paul, how are you doing, mate? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, I believe you've been having a fun day of being stuck at home constantly on calls all day. Yeah, literally from, I think, 8am this morning I've been on calls, which is a bit annoying. But uh, yeah, I've had some good calls, so it's not too bad. Could be worse. Excellent. Well, um, we've got another fun episode lined up today. So we are looking at uh, customer engagement platforms, um, taking the email marketing uh, and CRM piece a bit further and looking at platforms that, that enable customers to do much more kind of rich customer targeting. And we're chatting today to Amarsis. So some of the people listening will be aware of Amarsis. Some of you may have worked with it and others not so much. But Amarsis has got very interesting position in the marketplace. So, uh, self-position is the only omnichannel customer engagement platform built to accelerate business outcomes. Uh, so we thought, let's get somebody from Amarsis on and see if it lives up to this bold claim. So we invited uh, Zach on, who's a sales director. Um, to come and help our listeners learn more about the realities of the platform and, and e-commerce integration. So, Zach, welcome. How are you? I'm good. Thank you very much. And, and thanks for having me on. Really exciting to uh, chat to you guys and, and give you a little bit more of a, of a look under the hood, I guess. Yeah, well, having, having just told us before this that you recently uh, had COVID, we're, we're actually, you know, it's very kind of you to take the time to come on after recovering from that. So uh, I hope you're fully recovered and feeling better now. Yeah, all, all good. Thank you very much. I know it's um, yeah, it's a difficult time for everybody at the minute, and been there, and yeah, well, I'm I'm looking forward to to to, to cracking on. Really, it's nice, fantastic. Well, and before we've obviously got loads of questions to like drain your mental power. So before we uh, we start bombarding you with those, um, why don't you give people a bit of a flavour for what your role is uh, and what your background is at Marsis, and then also in your own words, you know, what is a Marsis and what does it do? Sure. Yeah. So, look, I'm the I'm the regional sales director for Amasis. Um, I am responsible for the UK, the Nordics, and the Benelux markets. I've been at Amasis for I think this is coming into my fifth year now, um, and I took up the the leadership role about a year ago. So, prior to that, uh, the previous three years, I was a I was an individual contributor or, or kind of sat on the sales side. And um, before that, I've, I've always sat on this side of the table, working with um, retail and e-commerce businesses. To leverage consumer data to sell more to their customers, um, and and look, I've, I, as far as the omni-channel customer engagement platform, I think as a as a tagline, traditionally, depending on how you look at Emartis, and for people that have heard of us, even thinking back maybe three four years ago, we, we get looked at as a as an ESP, and and I, I guess depending on, on on the use case of what you're looking for. Um, we we are a, we are an ESP as as one of our outfits. So if I was to give people a bit of a flavour for for what we are now, we are a, a tool which enables businesses to consolidate, uh, interrogate, and understand their their customer data, and then market to them at the right time across the right channel, the right proposition. That's probably a, a fair enough assumption of of what we do these days. That makes sense. And you've, uh, you kind of already touched on a few bits of this first question, um, which was essentially how, what is an omni-channel customer engagement platform and how does it differ from a traditional ESP? Um, but yeah, maybe you can just kind of go into a little bit more detail on how your platform would differ from like a traditional or like a standard kind of email platform, like maybe a MailChimp. Yeah. So, and and again, it's 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 very much so. The things that I would I would say, and if I was to break a customer engagement platform down, I would break it down into three key areas. Um, so, the the first area would 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 be around the the 
the the personalization capability that it has. Um, I think we are we were listed in the um, Garner Magic Quadrant for personalization recently, and we're really proud of our ability to deliver personalization across a, a variety of different channels. So we're talking personalizing the website experience, personalizing email experience, in-app, um, SMS, wherever a customer effectively wants to engage with a, a retail or e-commerce brand, we're able to personalize that experience for them. The second is, is, is personalizing that experience across multiple channels. And that's that omni-channel uh, piece that, that we were talking about of the customer engagement platform. And then the final piece is using or, or leveraging a data layer realistically to or a, a customer data layer to, to really make sure that personalization is true no matter where they they come in so we we have a, a, a cdp-esque and a, and a marketing automation output that really delivers them all together so versus a typical esp i think um we, we have that but it's very much a string to a, a far more well-educated bow now excellent um Sub question. So you mentioned SMS there, and I um, I didn't realise you were uh, kind of offering SMS, but it seems like that's like a, a really fast growing area for a lot of different um, vendors. Uh, so not just email or like CRM and email um, providers, but other businesses as well. Um, has that? Have you seen that? Have you seen there be a lot more? Is there a lot more demand for that at the moment? Like, yeah, and how big a part of a masses is it? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it, the demand is increasing. Absolutely. And it, and it has done pretty much since the beginning of lockdown, if I'm honest with you. I think people realise that everyone was sending emails and people aren't necessarily going to shops and they need to find a new way to, to get people to, to, to effectively hear their marketing message. And I think if you were to, to ask yourself, what do you really look at? Um, I think an average SMS is, is read within, I think, 10 seconds on average now in comparison to emails, which are read on average, I think about an hour and a half later. So there's a real difference in terms of lead time. So we're seeing a big push for promotional messaging with with SMS. Interestingly enough, um, when I took over the the, the markets, SMS is is and, and remains probably almost bigger than email across the Nordic regions. Um, but I think it's it's making a bit of a resurgence now, definitely in the UK. And um, I'd like to talk about the integration piece. I've been through this with a with a client with a Marsis, and I think sometimes when going into like e-commerce re-platforms and adding new technology, people underestimate um, sometimes the the challenges around integration and the time and effort. So, could you give people just an overview of what is the integration approach from a Marsis? So, is there a standard integration that clients need to use, or is it uh, bespoke? Do you, do people have the ability to come up with custom integrations to bend the Amasis platform to suit how they want to use it? I think it's quite a useful thing for people to understand. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, uh, as 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 you know yourself, James, right? Every implementation is is different, and and there's a couple of different requirements. I think um, I heard a, a really good analogy the other day of of kind of platform migration, and it was almost like. Um, I think somebody said if you were to think of a, a platform migration like a like building an extension on your house like you know it's great and you know it's going to be fantastic in the end but as soon as those first walls come down it's it's all exciting but then two weeks in when you've got dust in your breakfast cereal it feels a little bit different right and I think that's very much a good analogy towards kind of what these migrations and implementations uh, really feel like as um, from from the customer side sure 
when it comes to the the, the implementation itself or, or an integration as a, as a whole, Emarsis potentially falls slightly differently to a lot of the, the other vendors. We are retail and e-commerce specific, which means that, and, and for context for, for people listening, we have around globally around 2,000 retail customers, right? Which means that we've learned a lot when it comes to doing these implementations. I can't imagine the first couple were, were smooth, but what we've learned is that there should be a standardized approach for implementation, right? And that implementation, when we're speaking to retail and e-commerce um, businesses, typically consists of four themes. And that would be the breakdown, I would say, and we, I'm sure we can talk about them in a second. But those, those four feeds are, are a contact file. So we're asking customers to provide us a list of who do we want to speak to, right? Who are the people that we want to engage with? Secondarily, we want to have a product file. So that might be a Google product feed or other people have different variations, but typically something along those lines or something from your Shopify or, or your Magento's. They'll then have a, a transaction file. Now, that obviously links your customer file and your product file together. And then the final piece is, is around website engagement. So we couple all of that with live action with a, a website in, with a website tracking script that uh, allows us to understand who's on the website, what they're browsing, and it builds some of the propensity models. But uh, I guess to, to answer your question, that's what a standard implementation looks like, um, or, or they're the feeds that, that we require. Um, and we've built plugins with with some of the, the the softwares, so your Salesforce Commerce Cloud, your Magento, two, Shopify. We've built plugins which standardise those feeds. But customers can, of course, um, customise them for themselves. We have some large retailers that will use uh, BI tools to pass us their uh, their their data feeds. We have some retailers that leverage Mosaic data that also comes in. So, yeah, there, there's a there's a le- there's a limit of um, well, there, there's there's no limit towards the flexibility that's, that's required, um, but it comes down to the customer, really. Um, so I have a question. Um, so what, I mean, what do you think clients should be looking at when they're selecting um, a platform? And also, like, what skills or resources do you need um, to be working with a platform like Amasis? Because obviously, as you've already mentioned, um, it's quite broad um, and you it's kind of a lot broader than a conventional kind of ESP or potentially even CRM platform, um, what what skills or what team members would you say that you need? And also, um, in fact, yeah, I'll ask that question first. <laughs> Double question. So um, so in terms of, and, and I guess there's, there's two sides to that question really, Paul, uh, which is what are customers looking for from us? And then what do customers need to look at internally in their own business, right? When when they're, they're thinking about making any form of migration. And the, the reality is, if, if when, when you're looking at a vendor, I think it's, it's previous experience. And there's a couple of different bits that I would also take into account if, if I was the, the client themselves. So n- number one, do they have a methodology for, for, for running these migrations? Um, far too often I hear of stories where people um, open up a migration project or, or, or they enter a project and everyone's kind of running a little bit like headless chicken right? there's, there's no plan, there's no damp chart there's no methodology that exists between client and customer there's no roles and responsibilities that are clearly defined i would be looking to i'd be looking to make sure that the vendor i worked with had all of those in place right so that you could be assured that those things were that those things were, were, were of key importance the other thing that i always find 
very, very important. Because look, anyone sitting on this call that thinks every single implementation that any retailer um, ever takes in is 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 seamless and, and without hiccups is is obviously kidding themselves. Um, the second thing I would have is is make sure that we have clear escalation paths. Right? It's these projects are are never without a problem, but the biggest um, the biggest problems come up when you when 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 people don't have a clear line of escalation and people don't sort issues out at the time of when they come up. Right? I think that's really really important. So they they would be the things I'd look for from a from a vendor client side. Um, it's I guess it comes down to roles and responsibilities. We typically see needing a minimum of three key roles. So number one is someone technical. Um, that would be like a, a head of IT at a medium-sized retailer. We'd need a user-led, so someone that can actually articulate the challenges and what they're looking to do and why they're migrating to the technical consultant so that they understand why they're doing these things. Um, and we can come on to some of the data because I think they're important later. And then you also need someone that's going to um, sponsor the project. So you need like a, let's say a head of marketing or a CIO that has a vision that is sponsoring the project because they're the person that can make those changes if necessary and really pull people together as part of the business. You need someone that's got the vision for, for why we're doing this. Makes sense. Um, so moving on slightly, so you currently have integrations with Magento, Shopify Plus, Salesforce, and obviously SAP Hybris. Um, do you plan to introduce integrations for any additional platforms, so such as BigCommerce and Shopware, two that kind of come to mind? Uh, yes, for, for, for absolute certainty. And that's not to say that because we don't have pre-authorized integrations we don't already integrate with companies like big commerce and, and shopware and shopware from a german perspective we account for i think 33 to 35 percent of all um marketing tech out in the the german markets that's that's kind of where where we started so we have a an integration there but the the, the absolute answer is is yes without a doubt um our intention is to continue to to develop and, and identify new opportunities with with some of these vendors and as we even talked about before the call today big commerce is is one which is really really taking the world by storm so you know, we, we we develop customer customer first right that's, that's the important part for us that makes sense um and i think shopify is quite a recent integration for you and obviously shopify and big commerce both grow and ridiculously quickly at the moment has that been a success for you do you find it easier to integrate with a platform like shopify um which is obviously a lot more kind of standardized um than with some of the other ones yeah i mean for, for anyone that's listening that's ever looked at the back end of a shopify instance versus the back end of a of a magento instance that's that's uh, existed for more than 6 months you will probably understand why right i think um it's the standardization of shopify which makes it really simple um our, our product offering now has moved away from um the, the challenges that we saw with a lot of these vendors is that you do an implementation and then you you have all of this opportunity that exists in front of you and you spend six months then creating these templates or creating automated journeys or wanting to find out more about your customers. And our product has moved from that stage into real time to value and adoption. So we are with the Shopify piece, we're leveraging their flow data set. We're leveraging the pre-existing automations or we deem them tactics in the Amasis solution, which means that 
customers that are on Shopify can instantly turn on things like back in stock or wish list or price drop um, automated journeys, which are really, really delivering great value for our customers. So, yeah, there's, there's, there's definitely differences and, and Shopify has been really successful for us. I'd, I'd like to chat a bit more about the data integration, um, just because that's obviously what excites me of an evening. Um, <laughs> so you you mentioned like the th- uh, kind of four four data types earlier. I've got a couple of questions around. The first one would be, in order to push data into the master's platform from an e-commerce platform, it, does it have to be done via your API, or can clients use pre-existing feeds like flat file feeds that they've already got? Like, how, how flexible is the backend in Amarsis to map to a customer data structure versus the customer needs to get their feed mapped to yours? Yeah, so um, the, the the easy answer is is to say, look, we, we we can work with with any format, right? We can work on SFTP flat files overnight. We can work on CSV uploads. The the point I would almost ask back and 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 allow us to to think about is very much on the the customer, and I don't mean the customer as in the client. I mean the the customers of our clients' expectations. The question that we then always have to pass back to clients is, well, do you need that data in real time, and and what is the experience you're trying to offer back to your customers, right? Because if we are doing overnight feeds on certain pieces of data or certain pieces of of information, then that does lead to a lag of information later on. So it's it's around really how they want to, what experience their customer, in my opinion. Yeah, I guess that, that make that definitely makes sense about uh, urgency. And if yeah, if you wanted to do real time triggered events, the last thing you want to be reliant upon is an overnight like cron job pushing thrust through. So, um, and you mentioned the four file types: so contact, product, sales, and website engagement. For those people listening who are thinking, oh, do you know what? This sounds great, but I'm not sure we've got the time and resource to get it all done. What's the minimum data requirement to be live and using Amarsis? Um, Do you have to have all four? Can you go live with just, say, contacts and products and leave the other bits to later? Yes, so so, so minimum is, is contact file, to be completely honest with you, James. So um, we can send up and... For some of our clients, they they just require us to be a really really robust um, email marketing platform or a, an SMS marketing platform that allows them to do triggered journeys. So yeah, mi- minimum requirement is is contact feed, and then they can add over time things like product feed. Um, actually, on on those on those feeds, say feed data files, whatever, whatever customers want to, to to talk to them about. We try and limit the, the the need for having so many um, so many kind of necessary or, or or required points. So from a contact file, all we realistically require is a is an email address, um, which we can use as a unique identifier, and then any other field that they would like to use for personalization, right? And I guess this comes back to the data and those data feeds because. Every aspect of data you can use for personalization. But if somebody wanted to just pass us a list of email addresses, then then absolutely they can start getting benefits from the master solution as well. And uh, I guess another one which being uh, useful for people to clarify is if you start light and you don't pass all of the possible data that you could do, which you know, you've got an intelligence engine, you've got AI and ML stuff working in the background, what are the limitations? What what does it restrict customers' ability to do from a campaign execution and a personalization point of view if they don't give the master's platform that full data set? 
Yeah. So, um, and, and again, each each one of those data sets is almost like a key to being able to deliver a different level of personalization, right? So you can pass us a flat file of your contact file. You can have name, surname, email address. You can have um, your preferences. So you could have, okay, likes shoes, likes golf, likes football, whatever it is, right? And all of that could be used for personalization. The, the secondary part of that um, would be if they were to then take in their, their sales data. Sales data would then open them up to a world of information around like customer lifetime value. So this would then give me customer has bought X, Y, or Z. They have spent this much with us. They are this type of customer. So Amasis does a lot of profiling work when it comes to the sales information. So that'll allow us to start to say, okay, this is an active customer, a VIP customer of yours. This is a, a lead, so on and so forth. So, so that would give us that availability of, of information. And then product data being the, 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 the third feed, would open up the ability to deliver like product recommendations. So that would give us the ability to know, okay, right, in real time, what products do we need to show to the right individual in order to get them to convert, those sorts of things. Final one is, um, is the website tracking script. Who's on the site? What are they browsing at? What are they looking at? And again, that just helps to build that picture, really. Um, so some of what you just talked about in terms of the data is obviously an important part of a master's. Um, so I was working with a business once um, who were kind of obsessed with using some of the data that Masters had from kind of browsing activities, so some of the AI and machine learning stuff, um, and then using your APIs to then pass that data into other systems. So search was one that they did. Um, is that common? Like, do people tend to use kind of the data that a Masters has around customers and some of the kind of browsing data um, for other purposes? It's a, it's a really, really good point. And something that we've seen more of, um, depending on the customer requirements, I think the, the, the point being is that these systems are, are designed and built for a particular type of um, persona, right? Our system is, is an, and was never necessarily built to be used every single day by a, a head of data science or a head of data analytics or a head of search merch. But our system can also inform all of those decisions. So something that we've absolutely seen to, to answer your question directly, Paul, is, is yeah, our, our data is now being surfaced in, in a variety of other places. So search, search being one, but we're really starting to see uh, an influx of people that want the, the data and the enrichment coming from something like Marsis that can offer real-time data enrichment, um, uh, email engagement, all of that data, which is very, very rich to understand a, a consumer's loyalty towards you. Um, and they're pushing that into things like BI tools. They're building out um, their own propensity models, those sorts of things, which are which are really interesting use cases that we're seeing a lot of our customers really start to take on now. Makes sense. Um, Okay, so next question. Um, what types of kind of triggered uh, emails and campaigns do you, or not necessarily emails, campaigns, um, do you support natively? Like, are, are there kind of a set of um, kind of automated flows and triggered or triggered campaigns that you support uh, kind of out of the box? And what are some of the examples where people have kind of uh, pushed that um, a bit harder? Yeah, so um, probably almost a, a bit of a shameless plug here. So if anyone wants to search Amasis Tactics, um, it's our, our terminology for exactly what you've just described there, Paul, which is out-of-the-box um, automated journey. And 
where I think our our tactic solution is is very different to the rest of the market is that it's we we saw that there are a lot of these these campaigns which is like okay great we'll set up our first to second purchase program or a post purchase cross sell program but that it's it's effectively an empty program right it gives you a bit of a, a body that says okay send this type of email to this customer put in the wait node and then you need to decide around this this or this because we've set up our tactics and it's, it's been a fairly big working probably for the last 18 to 24 months which leverages all of that data that we've well, quite prominently been talking about today and rather than it being empty it's already building these these, these tactics or these automated flows leveraging that pre-existing data so rather than you saying okay this is what a, a post-purchase program looks like a master solution can create that for you but actually already look at the time frame of of wait node in between one email to another they can look at the type of personalization variables that should be included in the email and build that email out for you it can look at the different channels and start to recommend the channels and build those channel communications. So, so yeah, that, that that is all already in our solution. And to to your point around what what ones do we have? I mean, look, the ones that our customers are loving at the minute, they're loving the price drops, the the back in stock campaigns, the new in stock, the replenishment ones, because they're ones that customers wanted to do for so long. Um, and they needed either like a Shopify app to do or they needed to set something up and there was too many complications because they needed their technical team to set up. Um, and there's so much value in in now having these things out of the box. That makes sense. Um, with some of these, uh, I guess, features and some of the things we've talked about um, around kind of how people are using a master's, what does the like how, how what's your reporting like? Like, um, yeah, kind of what level, what type of things are you reporting on? And then also in terms of some of the kind of predictive stuff, um, yeah, how are you kind of building reporting into that? Yeah, so we've, we've done a couple of different things. And I think it, if, if I was to think about reporting, um, we we rethought about our reporting um, as we were developing these, these tactics that I was talking about earlier. So across each tactic, rather than it just being a tactic that was designed to sell more product, we associated each tactic with a strategy that existed within our business. So I'll give you an example. Um, we associated and we had a, a strategy which was around reducing customer return. And so you can click that strategy in the solution and that would give you these tactics, which is things like an express sale event or win back a defecting customer or a purchase anniversary campaign, all of these things that are trying to reduce customer churn. So that there and the strategy linking to the tactic has then meant that our reporting needs to report much wider than typical um, marketing led reporting. And I'll, I'll, I'll talk to you a little bit about this because I think it I think it answers your question and Paul feel free to tell me if it doesn't but the reporting that we have is isn't always was designed for the marketer right it was designed so that the typical reports that marketers run on a on a Monday morning or on a monthly uh, monthly business review is things like okay well well how much revenue have we made what is our open rate what's our click through rate right they're the typical KPIs and on oh, database size right they're they're the things that the majority of marketers still do report on on a weekly basis but we took the point of saying well actually if you were to take these um take, take these uh these numbers in 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 their own right then they're almost vanity metrics so you're saying open rate but the answer or the question that then comes from looking at open rate is well how much money did we make right it's it's those sorts of questions that that, that 
the, the C-suite are asking. Um, so what we've done is we've taken those and instead of looking at these vanity-led metrics is we've, we've redesigned our dashboard to look strategically at the metrics which most retailers that we know at the top of their game are monitoring. As, as well as looking at revenue, we're allowing retailers to instantly understand things like how many active customers they have and do they have more active customers at this point versus a previous point. So it could be month on month or the same month this year versus the same month last year. But then within revenue, looking at the things that matter. So within revenue, actually, say we've made, I don't know, £100,000 this, this, this month. Actually, with all of that £100,000, has my average order value increased or not? Or has my premium customer revenue gone up? Or have my items per transaction decreased? And that's been one of the most interesting conversations that we've been having over the past probably 12 months now, Paul, which is really highlighting to these businesses that revenue isn't the be-all and end-all, that there are reports and informations or, or KPIs that should be being monitored that sit below revenue that truly give you a reflection of the health of your business. Uh, de- uh, definitely, you know the, the the importance of getting the right metrics, and I think I think just focusing on the simple open metrics misses the uh, the wider pictures. You say, but I've got another question that related to tactics. I just want to I want to go back to that for a bit because um, from my understanding and from from having looked at the platform, that basically by default, Marsis works based on an ID. So you have a customer ID which allows you to stitch that together across all of all of the uh, the behavior of the customer to help with the targeting and putting people in segments. But guest users on e-commerce sites understand it implementation wouldn't have an Amarsis ID. They're not registered customers. Somebody comes in on a on a mobile and goes and you don't know who they are. They're not logged in. Yeah, so yeah. for the tactics like say basket abandonment or price drops, how does that work with anonymous users? What are the options that people have within Amarsis to be able to target anonymous people as well because things like basket abandonment most of them are done by anonymous users yeah yeah absolutely right and and i'd love to say that there is a there's a catch-all that answers every single problem but i think there's there's a couple of different um thought processes that we've had when it comes to the the anonymous users that abandon baskets so, so point number one is if they're anonymous, we need to be able to, to recognize them. Um, and we we use cookie-based recognition. Uh, we we obviously match to, to email IDs. And as part of our the omni-channel capability that we have, the linking that we do links across devices. So the point there being is that if someone is um, a customer of yours on their laptop and they are browsing, they get an email from, uh, and, and it's their first-time customer, hypothetically, you then follow up or, or, or they're browsing that you they've got an email from you that they open on their mobile device. We then link those two together. Right? Now, what that gives us is a, a higher um, catch rate, if you like, on when it when it comes to these the, the guest users, because we can start to understand who they are. And that allows us to pick up a much higher percentage of the users that are browsing the web if they've ever browsed or they've ever engaged with us across a different device and we've linked those devices together. Again, not necessarily a catch-all. The second part and the area that we've really focused on more recently is if someone is a guest user, how do we get a point of recognition with them while they're on the website? I think having someone that's in in play or in market is a great opportunity to start to identify that. So we've released a, a new outfit to ours called Web Channel, uh, and essentially it creates experiences depending on 
a group of customers. So yes, a segment of your high value customers you can create an experience for, but it also allows you to create different experiences for those anonymous customers in order to try and capture their data before they leave the site or before they abandon their basket. So we've, we're, we're trying our best, but I guess there's no immediate simple fix. And, and is, it, is it feasible to basically, you know, you have non- an e-commerce platform like Magento, you have an anonymous user, they don't have an existing Amar societies because you don't yet know who they are. Um, and for the e-commerce platform to generate a new like anonymous user ID and send it through via the API so that you have that. And therefore, if there is an abandon, then they can pass through that email address linked to that ID and you can send that campaign out. Uh, yeah, with, without a doubt. I mean, because of the integration that we have, that would happen. So the anonymous ID would already be being matched within the Amasis system. So Amasis will match the anonymous ID that we hold or we append to an individual profile at any point anyway. So if we can match them and, and send, then, then absolutely. It's, uh, it's, it, it helps both sides, really. Um, so I have a question. So bringing things back to re-platforming a little bit. So when um, a merchant moves from one platform to another, um, how flexible and easy to work with is Amasis from a data migration perspective? So given how broad uh, the platform is, so beyond just kind of customers and products, um, how easy is it for someone to kind of move from one platform to the other? Um, a lot of the kind of standard ESPs would rely on a product ID and a customer ID, and then it can be a bit of a nightmare um, kind of migrating data over. Um, and given that you've kind of got a lot of on-site data, a lot of cookie data, everything else, um, how, yeah. how would this generally happen? And um, and how does a master's kind of make it easy? Yeah, so... I guess there are there are so many unknowns in the question pool, as I'm, as I'm sure you as I'm sure you're aware, right? There's there's a, a what platform to what platform and and so on. But I can give a, a couple of different points. I think we'll hopefully add some add some clarity. Um, the reality comes in the fact that we we are agnostic to the platforms that we work with, and we're really fortunate of that. Which means that the standard data feeds we have. The reality is we're a dumb engine, right? The data feed of a contact file that has X amount of data against it or a product feed that has a, a product and a SKU and a variant and an inventory number, all of those sorts of things. We don't really care where it comes from as long as we're still getting it, right? And it matches. Now, the point being that obviously if you're changing um, your whole productization solution and you're going to have new SKUs with new numbers, it's going to cause some complexities. But when customers are thinking about making a move over or moving, more, more importantly, midway through an Amasis, um, an Amasis relationship, all we really ask is, is to, to ensure that the, the, standard, the standardizations and the points of um, unique identifier remain the same and we can be pretty flexible on our side. The other thing we've actually had some customers do, and we, we've, we've felt this a lot more recently with the, the M1 to, or Magento 1 to Magento 2, is actually leveraging and put, putting some data in Emarsis almost as the bridge between two platforms. So we've had some customers that are putting a load of their data in, giving us even more data from their Magento 1 instance, and then pulling it back out into their Magento 2 instance, which 
we, we were never intended to be used like that, but these things uh, these things come out in the wash, right? The only thing that I would I would realistically add to the to the data piece, just for, for clarity, and I guess just to help anyone that's thinking about doing a migration, is that you can't come to a, a, a technology, and I, I do reference, and I'm always hesitant when I say like, or when I refer to technology as a dumb engine, right? Because it, it's it's only as good as what you give it. Um, yeah. But the thing that I would, and some of the recommendations I would make to anyone that's thinking about it is like really understand your data before looking at a migration. You can't expect to suddenly get a, an influx of of relevant data if you've got bad data beforehand you probably need to sort that out because it's only going to bite you in the long run yeah I, th- I think that's a really really sage bit of advice to people and i think and this is coming like one of the questions only about what what resources the client needs what do they th- need to think about because you really have to go into a, co- a proper data integration having understood what your data model is going forward and if there are issues with it as you say fix them now don't chuck junk into a uh, a platform like an artist and expect it to fix it for you yeah, we get we we've we've had on the odd occasion people that are like running away from even small things like bad deliverability, and they think just changing their their marketing provider will answer those problems, <laughs> and it's it's surprisingly not the answer, right? You can't run away from from a bad reputation when it comes to ISPs, so we really have to have those conversations and start to start to just give people some some thought process behind the content they're sharing with these customers and, and relevancy around. Is this data bought? Right, we've we've had some scary stories of customers that are just hundred thousand bought contact into the data, and we're like, you you can't do that. Yeah, so oh, this pesky thing of GDPR and uh, stuff like <laughs> yeah. that hasn't been there for long, you know. Um, I think having 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 witnessed this with it with a client around the the data migration bit, I've been there where the client has been changing their SKU structure and. And this is a great, it really pays to sit down and have proper data migration discussions with both the the, um, the technical partner and also uh, yeah, a, a platform partner like Amarsis to look at how the heck do you get that like prior sales data mapped across properly so that you don't start from, from zero in a new platform. Um, which leads me on perfectly, it's almost like we plan this, leads yeah. me on perfectly to my next question, Zach, which is, Given the fact that that you have the complexities of data migration, which could be same platform but new data model or different platforms, same data model, what is a sensible time frame that you normally advise new uh, clients to plan in when they want to do a, a, a integration into a Marsis from, uh, you know, they haven't worked with you before? We're talking you have a standard um, process, it's X weeks or it's X months. Yeah, so I guess, and and this is ironically, and I I feel like I've given this answer a lot, right? But I guess this is the point of having these conversations is it's very client dependent and it depends on the amount of data they want to bring over and and so on. But I'll I'll give you context. Um, If we were to take full scope of the implementations that I think we did last year for our clients, and we're talking some some global implementations for for multi-billion dollar retail organizations and you took your shopify's and your magentos i think on average we implement around 90 days start to finish right the smaller ones obviously we can really really expedite so as as paul was talking about earlier and the benefit of working with some standardized platforms like shopify we've we've built out like a 30 day or 30 working day migration plan which gets 
95% of our Shopify customers from a pre-existing platform onto Emarsis, sending emails with automated triggers, um, really, really ticking in, in, yeah, in, in 30 working days. So it, it varies and there's obviously um, dependencies, right, on, on the client side. These things don't just happen. We, we really need the client to be brought in and they need to be associating themselves to a time frame in, in, in the same way that we are. Um, so what is next for Amasa? So obviously, um, we haven't talked about it yet, but uh, you were recently acquired by SAP. Um, what, is, what does this mean? And yeah, what else do you have on the roadmap? So uh, as far as the SAP acquisition goes, I'm, I'm really excited. Uh, we, for anyone that's, that's listening that has ever acquired a, or looked at the SAP solution, I think we have been bought for our expertise, right? We remain as as an Emarsis company, um, or we're Emarsis, an SAP company now, I think would be the, the name once this all, all kind of goes through. But the reality is that, that not a great deal changes. Um, and if anything, we have more investment to, to continue to develop in the same way that, that, we, that, that we were. Um, and that development is customer first, right? We listen to our customers inherently. And it's one of the biggest reasons I've stayed at Emarsis probably for the last four years is, is our continual drive to develop new products based upon our client requirements. And one of our recent, um, one of our recent kind of real big uh, releases was, was a loyalty solution, right? I think if you think about the challenges that retailers are facing now, um, they are heavily, heavily focused on profitability and giving away discounts left, right and center for little to no reward is 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 never going to is never going to benefit them in the long run. So introducing a, a loyalty solution that is already integrated and underpinned within the Amasis solution has, has really enabled retailers to move to a more profitable marketing. But driving that customer loyalty I think is is so 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 important. So yeah if if, if I looked at what it's done, I think, if anything, it just accelerates our roadmap to, to really start to deliver better products for our customers. And the short term, not, nothing changes. Long term, it's, it's, it's just about delivering a, a better experience for our customers. Excellent. Thanks. And um, it's been really interesting. I, I, I've, we've covered all the questions I, I want to see because otherwise I'll end up trying to dive down into far too deep technical questions, which will probably lose half of the listeners. So, and that's obviously what follow-up conversations are for. So Paul, were there any other questions you wanted to ask? I don't think so. I think, um, yeah, we've covered loads and it's, uh, yeah, it's really interesting to hear where the product's going and yeah, and hear a little bit more about some of the features because I haven't been particularly hands-on with it. So yeah, I think um, it's been really good. Yeah. And I think for my, my kind of like key takeaway for everyone would be is having been through it with a client this year and again I've, I've worked with clients who've used Amasis but not been directly involved and now I have this year in the implementation is a Amasis has it's got a structured onboarding process and uh, you know was impressed by the the quality and depth uh, of um, of work on it but it's not quick and it isn't simple as you've already alluded to Zach you need to think it through properly it's a sophisticated platform and I think one of the key takeaways that's come out of this episode as well is spend time properly defining data integration needs understand any of the complexity and risk that is around that and put a proper plan in place, which means the client taking ownership, the client's technology partner being involved and the uh, project lead from Imarsis. I think that for me is the critical takeaway from this all. Um, so I guess, Zach, if any of our listeners want to learn more or they've got you know more deep dive questions related to any of the topics we touched on, how do they reach out? Do they reach out to you? Do they reach out to somebody else? What's the process? 
Yeah, um, feel free to, to head over to amarsis.com, take a look around, um, or, or feel free to reach directly out to me. Um, I'm just my name on, on LinkedIn and, and, and all of the other socials. So feel free to, to, to grab me. I'm more than happy to host a, a conversation, whether it be speculative or, or whether you have a project in mind. Um, I'm, I'm here to support and I can introduce you to, to anyone as, as part of the business. Really. Closed like a true sales director. There we go. There we go. <laughs> no, but it, it, uh, we'll, we'll put the links on the um, Replatform website. So if anyone wants to reach out to Zach, feel free to do so. Uh, Zach, really appreciate you taking the time to to join us and uh, and share a few more insights about the Amasis platform. No problem at all. Thank you so much, guys. Really, really good to have you on. And and look, um, yeah, as you said, James, this this probably could have gone into a variety of different. Um, uh, outfit. So yeah, really, really good to, to be on and thanks for having me. Cool. Thanks as always everyone for listening. We'll catch you next time. Cheers guys.